Welcome to the Hoops Royalty Podcast. I'm King Jemison. I'm Karna Venkatraj. And we're here to give you the most kingly takes in all the NBA land. And Karna, today I have a royal decree. You ready oh, for yeah. this? Oh yeah. I hereby decree that players should no longer be incentivized to grab their nuts and fall down on defense. Because what Anthony Davis did today, drawing a charge on Ja Morant, in which Ja fell on his, fit, on his wrist and immediately went to the locker room, was out for the rest of the game, was a perfectly sound defensive play. Anthony Davis did what he should do in that situation. That just shouldn't be a perfectly sound defensive play. The rules should not be promoting that. Big players, like Anthony Davis, should be trying to get big at the rim, not fall and create dangerous plays where the most exciting player in the game is out for the rest of the game. So, Karna, tell me you give this your royal stamp of approval. You know, as a guy who gets buckets at, at East Florida in Lifetime, I, I think it's a perfectly fine rule. You know, I'm a 300-pound bucket, so I should be able to allow to put my shoulder right into someone's chest, and if they aren't able to handle it, there's a weight room right there, right? So it's the weight room, dog. Um, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've seen him put in this work, <laughs> and I've seen that, that this rule change would benefit Karna as well. <laughs> So, this is our first ever recording. Let's talk just a little bit about who we are and what we want to do here. Yeah. We are both teachers in Memphis right now, um, but we're both going to be starting sports-related positions next year. Karna, tell us what you're going to be up to. Yeah, I'm going to be a business analyst for the Cleveland Guardians, uh, but I've always had a passion for the NBA and basketball. Uh, never made a team. Never made the team. <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously that, that grew my passion exponentially. But, you know, after relocating from the Houston area... Uh, I picked up the Grizzlies recently and, and, and fallen in love very quickly with Memphis, the 901, and, and the Grizzlies. So I'm happy to cover this series and happy to cover basketball in general. And I'm going to be going to Northwestern Medill to get a master's in journalism next year with a sports specialization, then hoping to launch my career in sports media. I'm currently doing some writing for Beale Street Bears, a fan-sided Memphis Grizzlies site. So check that out, and we're going to talk about that that work here as well. But I'm a lifelong Grizzlies fan. I was converted in Game 3 of the 2011 NBA playoffs, the first NBA game I ever went to. Um, And that victory by the eight-seeded Grizzlies over the one-seeded Spurs had me hooked on both the Grizzlies and the NBA for life. And that's what we're going to talk about on on this podcast. So today we're going to break down the action in Grizzlies-Lakers game one. Needless to say, we're both in pain, perhaps more pain than Jaws' right hand. And if you're watching this, you already know the Grizzlies fell 128-112 in game one, surrendering an absolutely egregious 15-0 run to close the game. We were both in attendance. Karna, give us your 30-second recap. Yeah, um... You know, I, I kind of agree with Desmond Bain, his, his comments after the game. I, I'm, I'm waiting to see Rui Hachimura and, and Austin Reeves kind of have these out-of-body experiences again. I think there's encouraging signs. You know, Jaron Jackson not getting in foul trouble, which we'll get into later. Um, you know, some good defense on AD and, and LeBron. So encouraging signs. I think a lot of it is going to hinge on whether, you know, how Jaws' hands feel and then game planning around that. So that, that that's, that's kind of what we're going for there. But... You know, encouraging signs. Tough not to get the loss at uh, t- tough to get the loss at home, but um, some some things to take away from, and hopefully Taylor Jenkins works his magic, and we we go from there. Most of our conversation after the game has centered around whether the fact that the Lakers won with Anthony Davis and LeBron James 
not doing that much yeah. is a good thing or a bad thing for the Grizzlies in this series. It's probably a bad thing because LeBron and AD are going to each have games where they go yeah. for 30, almost for sure. But if I'm trying to look at it optimistically, Rui Hachimura dropping 29, going 5 of 6 from 3 is not likely to happen again. Mm-hmm. And the Grizzlies did execute their defensive game plan for the most Absolutely. part. Their game plan was, we're going to make the Lakers role players beat us. And if they do, congrats. And, well, and they did. They, they very, <laughs> very, they did. very much did. Yeah. There's some other things we're going to break down, but to kind of get into this game, let's start with the most dramatic moment, and this is with the Grizzlies trailing 105-101. Ja is now back in the game. He really hasn't been that aggressive Mm -hmm. to this point in the game, but he's got 18 nevertheless. He had a big third quarter, and he drives to the hoop. AD standing there. AD with seven blocks on the day, by the way. Ja goes up. AD stands in, take the charge, jaw goes down, and his already hurt right hand, he falls with a lot of weight on it, runs immediately to the locker room. Yeah. The the reports afterwards is that the x-rays were negative, he didn't break anything, but when asked whether there was any doubt he could play in game two, he said, yes, there is doubt. So jaw himself is telling us, it's not for sure he's back. Carnal, what does it mean if Ja is out for the rest of the season? I mean, yeah, I, I think that there was a really – and that's part of the encouraging signs I was talking about. Without Ja, we did – you know, you see the Grizzlies kind of getting into a different offensive mode. People are not standing around as much. People are trying to create from themselves, create for their teammates. Um, but obviously you're losing a guy who could drop 30. You know, there's, there's a sequence there for a little bit. He hits, you know, a three-pointer, comes down again, hits another shot comes down again, hits another shot. He's a superstar in the league, so it's, it's going to be a huge loss. But I still think there's enough star power. And from what Jaron showed us today, there's definitely enough scoring and star power combined with some lockdown defense from our role players that can still pull the series out. By no means is, is Jaw losing Jaw a death knell for the, uh, for the Grizzlies. So I, I think there's you know definitely still hope. I, I think what we need from Desmond, from Dylan... From Luke, from those guys, we need we need we need game like twenty thirty point games from at least one of them to kind yeah. of replace that scoring. Yeah, the Grizzlies can win this series without John Morant. Yeah. It's definitely easier with John Morant because the Lakers don't have anybody to guard him. Jared Vanderbilt, I actually thought did a good job in this first game, but long term over the course of the series, he's not going to have the goods to lock up Jaw. Mm-hmm. What the Lakers did defensively on Jaw was they packed the paint. And Anthony Davis was an absolute monster. I don't know if Anthony Davis can put up seven blocks and be an absolute force at the rim throughout this whole series. If he can, the Grizzlies are going to have to beat them from outside. And then Jaw's not as important as he would be otherwise. Yeah, and I think another encouraging sign that we saw is is the ability for... And this happens earlier in the season. The ability for after Luke Kennard gets traded, but Luke Kennard and, and some of these other guys to hit big shots and big mm-hmm. moments, um, hit three-pointers, um, which it adds a total, di- a different dimension to the game. But what you lose from Jaw is that packing the paint that opens up the rest of the offense, right? Um, I think Jaw can, as Jaw improves, he will make the whole team multidimensional, but sometimes he can make it one-dimensional. I think we saw that today, even when times... Because John needs to be aggressive, and he just couldn't be today for whatever reason. Um, and I think that made us one-dimensional when he's on the floor. But when Jaws at his best, 
it makes the Grizzlies multidimensional. So losing Jaw at his best would have been tough, but I don't think we saw Jaw even when he was on the floor healthy before the AD um, incident. I don't think we saw him at his best today. He looked kind of nice out of sorts. He didn't hit a rhythm until that sequence that I talked about. Um, I just think he was kind of a little bit lagging behind the rhythm of the game. And that's not where you usually see Jaw. You usually see him pushing the rhythm of the game or pushing the tempo of the game. Yeah. Um, so I think we, if we were getting that Jaw back, it would be much bigger of a blow. But today, the Grizzlies were kind of able to hold their own in a lot of moments um, without Jaw. Well, just to illustrate that, the most surprising stat to me from this game is that John Murray had two assists in 30 minutes. Yes. This is a guy that for his playoff career averages nine assists. He was getting relatively high usage in this game, but it felt like he was absolutely deferring to JJJ as he should, but then deferring to Bain, deferring to um, the rest of the Grizzlies role players rather than really pushing the envelope himself. Exactly. And the biggest place I saw that was in transition. This was not the game I expected from the Grizzlies in transition. Mm -hmm. And I think that's as good a place as any to transition to kind of how we're going to break down this game. Um, I wrote a series preview for Beale Street Bears. You should go check it out. I think everything there is still going to be salient over the course of the series. I had five big points that are, uh, I think, going to determine the series. They were all pretty impactful in this first game. So we're just going to check in on each of those five keys to the series yeah. so after game one. So your first point, first of all, this is a, he, he didn't plug it as well as he, he probably should have. This was a killer series preview. Loved reading it. Um, so I, what I want to do is I want to go through each point with King, the author, see what how he's feeling after the game, um, and then kind of see if his predictions changed, which I don't think it should. I think it's a great prediction. But um, let's start with Jaron and Dylan foul trouble. How did you feel about foul? I think we should talk about foul trouble in general because there was a surprising name on that list um, for foul trouble. So... Can you just jump into how you felt about Jaron's performance, Dylan's performance, and then that name that that we'll get to at, at, towards the end? Yeah. Dylan got in foul trouble pretty early. He sat for, I think, the last eight minutes of the second quarter, an extended stretch with three fouls. I mean, he picked it up early in the second quarter. But the guy we were most worried about, Jaron Jackson Jr., the second most foul-prone player in the entire NBA – and going up against a Lakers team with the best free throw differential in the entire NBA. And Jaron ends up with three personal fouls. He had one in the first half. He did an excellent job of playing within himself, not picking up fouls. And that allowed him to put in work on the offensive end. Jaron Jackson Jr. was the best player on the court in a game featuring Anthony Davis and LeBron James. He put up 31 points on 13-21 shooting. And as you pointed out, Karna, tell me about every time what happened when they put him in ice. That's, that was the thing that I wrote down in the notes during the game. I, I, I quickly typed out Jaron Jackson Jr. on the ISO, on LeBron, on anyone that was switched on him, it was cookies. He was there. He was scoring. He looked great doing it. Three-pointers were falling. He opened up his complete bag tonight. And that, or today. And I think, yeah, I agree. I think he's the be- he was the best player on the floor. And I don't think it was close. Um, and I, I think to caveat that a little bit, Roy Hachimura is the only one that got close to him in terms of scoring, really, in any real sense. And that was a once-in-a-lifetime game from him, probably. 
this is something that we could see from Jaron night after night after night because he has a physical tools to do it. And now it seems like he's growing into his body, developing like everyone thought he would. And and maybe this is kind of the series where he takes that next step and he's in that conversation next year for some of those bigger awards. And I think maybe this is the first step. I may, I'm, I may be being a little dramatic, but you no, know, we've been waiting for that next step. And I think this is part of that having a big series against two of the best players in the NBA. I've heard a conversation and this is this is a quick you know tangent from where we're at right now but yeah. Karna, I've heard a, a conversation amongst Grizzlies writers about whether they think over the next 5 years Ja or Jaren will get more MVP votes. Tonight would indicate one <laughs> way. What do you think? Well, let's look at where the league is going. Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis have all three are might have the closest MVP race of all time. So I, I think that in in that sense you have kind of an answer, right? Like the league is sort of and Giannis and, and Jokic have have what traded. Uh, Jokic has two in a row, and and um, I, either way, Giannis has, has won one as well. Yeah, it went two two Giannis, two, two Jokic. Yeah, it went two. Okay, it traded. Yeah. So two Giannis, two Jokic. So. I mean, look where the last four MVPs have been similar body structures and types uh, to Jaron. And honestly, Jaron's a better shooter than Giannis. He's not as physically imposing, but Jaron has the physical tools to take that next step. The question is, will he? And I think having big series against some of the best players in the NBA, specifically one of the best defenders in the NBA is a really, really encouraging sign. So if I'm weighing in that conversation, I'm saying Jaron, actually. Um, yeah, I'm saying Jaron. I'm saying Jaron, too, because of the two-way impact. Yeah. It, people in the MVP race at least should value defense, and he's <laughs> arguably the best defender in the league. Yeah. But to get back to the foul conversation, Jaron stays out of foul trouble. He has a big game. So that's check. Yeah. Dylan doesn't stay out of foul trouble, but he still played. He played 28 minutes. You need more from Dylan Brooks. Mm-hmm. He also went 5 of 13 from the floor. So how much was he helping the Grizzlies when went out there? I mean, of the starters, he had the most negative plus minus. He was minus 18 in this game. So yeah, I don't think his foul trouble really had an impact. But there I was somebody's foul trouble who, who did. did have an impact. Yeah, and I was surprised to see him on this list. One quick note on Dylan Brooks, though. I, ag- I completely agree with your point but I think one caveat is he hit some big shots mm-hmm. to keep the game close at a lot of certain at, at certain points and he got buckets when he needed to specifically that matchup against D'Angelo Russell he was able to kind of physically impose himself on a smaller guard and that's a very encouraging sign to see because he can get to the basket and that matchup will be there later in the series so it's like yeah he wasn't as efficient as he needed to be but I don't think you ever kind of expect that from Dylan Brooks you expect them to get a bucket when you need something. Actually, you don't expect that. But you expect them to, like, hit a big shot every once in a while. And he did that today. I mean, he's not going to be – he's a guy who's going to be there to defend, to lock someone up. Um, kind of like we were talking about with, like, Avery Bradley, that sort of role player. Um, but he hit some big shots today. He had a few really good defensive yeah. sequences on the yeah, There's no doubt. So, yeah. yes, him only playing 28 minutes impacted the Grizzlies. I think a bigger impact was Desmond Bain getting five fouls and just coming out at a bad time. In the fourth quarter with, what, Carno, six minutes to go? Five minutes to go? Five, yeah. Desmond Bain picks up his fifth foul and comes out for a little bit. And it's just to me, in that situation, you trust your guy. Bain is not playing around the rim, so he's not 
going to be forced to foul. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I hate when you put your player in foul trouble yeah. when you needed that scoring out in the, out in the game. I mean, within the next couple minutes, Shaw would be out of the game for, yeah. for the entirety. Um, and yes, Bain yeah. came back in. Bain played 36 minutes. That's the second highest on the team. Mm-hmm. But... I feel that in the second half, his defensive effectiveness was impacted by by of the course, fouls. Of course, yeah. We saw Rui Hachimura put a couple in his eye. Yeah, yeah. We we saw the Lakers take advantage of the fact that Desmond Bain knows he needs to be out there. Yeah. But with the fouls, he couldn't and, play the. Aggressive and I think defense. one thing that we've seen all season is, regardless of whether Morant is or, or is going to be ready for Game Two, which I don't think he will be, or Game Three, or Game Four, or Game Six, or six, Game Seven, or even the next playoff series. Desmond Bain needs to be on the floor, right? Like, the foul trouble that happened today, no matter if Jaws 100% or not, Desmond Bain has to be on the floor for the Memphis Grizzlies to win a series. And today, he just wasn't. And there was extenuating circumstances. I don't think, and I hate to blame things on refs, but I just don't think that there was, um, I don't think the game was called as effectively as it needed to. There's some soft, soft Okay, calls. yeah. So I don't want to get a little bit more this. diplomatic, but I agree. Yeah. I don't want to get into this too much because yeah, the Grizzlies lost yeah. fair and square. The yeah. refs did not win the game for the Lakers. They mm-hmm. were not the Lakers' sixth man. Yeah. That being said, I hate the fouls on offensive it's rebound attempts. Yeah. Yes, the Grizzlies are a smaller team. They have to get a little bit physical on the box outs. But what we're seeing is not grabbing the jersey. We're not yeah. seeing them yanking the arm. Yeah. We're just seeing a little bit of contact on – a seven-foot behemoth and Anthony Davis. And, I, I, and, I, and I think that that was a foul that that, that was kind of referring to. Is, is It was an unnecessary f- foul call. I think you swallow the whistle in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I, I think you swallow the whistle in the playoffs. And, and I, But I agree with you. I think it's there was a lot of basketball mistakes that the Grizzlies made today. And there are a lot of great things that the Lakers did today um, that swayed more than, more than just a ref. So I'm yeah. definitely there with you. So I think we talked a little bit about um, foul trouble and and you know Jaron had a great game. Dylan got in trouble in the first, got in hot water, but was able to still be effective on the defensive end. And then Desmond, you know, we talked about that. Let's kind of move on to three point shooting because I think this is an interesting area. I think you wrote more about how, you know, the uh, and obviously we're writing from the Grizzlies' perspective, but how the Grizzlies could be really effective. Um, you know, from beyond the arc, and, and more specifically on like Luke Kennard usage and and um, and relative defenses. But I, I want I, don't, I think we'd be remiss to talk about Roy Hachimura and Re- Austin Reeves just absolutely being on fire from beyond the arc. So let's talk about your outlook on you know the series from three point shooting, including today. How are you feeling about it? What can the Grizzlies do better? Could, what usage needs to be in place for, for us to start being effective from beyond the arc? This was maybe the first playoff series in Grizzlies franchise history in which coming in on paper, they had a three-point shooting advantage. And I'm not, this is not just my take. Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian, of the Daily Memphian, Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast and Grits and Grinds. This was their whole point coming into the series is the style that we come, we've come to expect from Memphis is they're going to lose a three-point battle, but they're going to make up for it on offensive rebounds, on turnovers, on points in the paint. And since Steven Adams and Brandon Clark went out for the season, that's flipped for the Grizzlies. They've become a good three-point shooting team, and they've also become a team that relies on the three. 
And today, the Grizzlies were fine from three. Um, if you if you look at the numbers, I believe they shot uh, 38%. Um, I'm going to check that right now. But the problem was they were supposed to have the advantage in three-point shooting, and instead the Lakers absolutely yeah. went off. Grizzlies went 13 for 36. Yeah, yeah. 13 for 36, so, which, uh, yeah, 30, 36%. You'll yeah. take that. Yeah, You'll take that, and 13 made threes is basically what the Grizzlies have been averaging since the trade deadline, since acquiring Luke Kennard. But the problem is the Lakers making 16 of 37, shooting 43%, five of those coming from Rui Hachimura, who's a 34% three-point shooter this season, I believe. Below average three-point shooter by by that mark. And, you know, you saw players that you don't expect to be making threes. They... They were making a lot of threes yeah. tonight. I mean, LeBron had three. D'Angelo Russell had three. Austin Reeves had three. Yeah. And so the Lakers, a team that's not a good three-point shooting team, they've been better post-deadline since acquiring, acquiring Malik Beasley, acquiring um, D'Angelo Russell, losing Russell Westbrook. That's addition by <laughs> subtraction. They've been better, but they are still a below-average three-point shooting team. I believe they're 19th in the NBA in threes made per game since the deadline. <laughs> Today they make 16 on efficient shooting Five of those come from a player in Rui Hachimura, yeah. who your game plan said, "Let him shoot." We're gonna let him shoot. Like we'll close out, but yeah. we're not running him off the three point yeah. line. I, yeah, and you know, like I said earlier, I, I, I'm with Desmond on this. I, I think that you know, you live with that. You get beat by a role player who, again, shot you know, outkicked his coverage when it comes to three point shooting. And, you know, Austin Reeves had an out-of-body experience in the fourth quarter. He didn't miss a shot in the second half or the fourth quarter. You know, he, he puts up 14 points in that half. I mean, you live with getting beat with guys by guys like that. You stick to your defensive game plan. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think three-point shooting. I think one thing I didn't and I wanted to see a lot more of was kind of after Jaw goes out, I wanted to see a little bit more of Luke Kennard and just using him in a way – where you're you're letting him catch and shoot in and and really be in his element, and because I I think what he showed at, towards the latter part of the season was that he's a guy that can be relied on, and especially when you lose a big portion of your scoring, he's a guy that you can go to for a bucket. And I think it's also a conversation about hey Luke, you probably need to be more aggressive. There was times where he kind of held up on the shot, um, passed it off when he didn't need to before making a move. So I would love to see you know coaching kind of come up with a a game plan in this next game say hey Luke we're gonna give you the ball in these in these situations and you have to be ready to just catch and shoot Um, and I'd love to see his usage go up his um, you know shot attempts go up as well a couple things on Luke Kennard first of all this was not an elite shooting game for him he went one for four yeah this man shot 49% in the regular season from three that is yeah half of or that today's percentage was half of his season long percentage so you expect him to make more. There were a few times where I thought he could have pulled up for a three, exactly. and he passed it off. Now, yeah. we know that he's a bit of a hesitant shooter. He can be reluctant. But in this series, particularly if Jaw is out, they need Luke Kennard firing away. Yeah. The kind of firing away he did in that Houston Rockets game where he goes 10 of 11. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Karna. As you'll see, his allegiance to Memphis is secondary to his allegiance to the Houston Rockets, and we're cool with that. Uh, but in that Rockets game... Kennard would shoot with an inch of space. In this game, it was like he was waiting for an open invitation to take the three. And that is a negative. First of all, he needs to make more than one of four. Second of all, he needs to take more than four threes. 
But the thing is, he still had the highest plus minus for any Grizzlies yep. player in this game. He was plus 11. To me, that says, first of all, that he was not on the floor for the 15-0 run at the end of the game. Yeah. But more, consequen- more consequentially, the spacing he provides helps everybody else, even when he's not taking shots. And I thought he held up on defense. He held up on defense in this game. He was not getting switch hunted because the Lakers don't really have the personnel to switch hunt Luke Kennard. So he played 25 minutes in this game, tied for the most of any player off the bench. Yeah. I think that number might need to be over 30 if Jaw's not out there. In I, fact, I, I think it absolutely needs to be over 30 yeah. if Jaw's not out there. It absolutely does. He's going to be the true sixth man if Jaw is, is not out there. And even if Jaw is out there, they need to make a more concerted effort to draw up plays for Luke Kennard. All of his threes today were on drive and kick opportunities. That's all well and good. That's where most of his shots should come from. But I would love to see a couple ATOs drawn up for Kennard. Yeah. Get him in a rhythm early because he's just such a weapon. And he can be the equalizer in the three-point battle that swayed heavily for the Lakers. Mm-hmm. The rest of the series, I expect it will come back to the Grizzlies in no small part because of Kennard. And, and, and ATO was actually where I was thinking about running those plays for Kennard. He's like, there's these half-court, you know, plays that that you can just run for your three-point shooter that that he just needs to be involved in and and take that shot and if you know you lose because Luke Kennard goes one for 15 which I don't think he will then yeah you know you you take that chance when Jaw's not on the floor and you lose your best player that that's just how you know the NBA works um so yeah I I think we covered three-point shooting and I think we covered how the Grizzlies should kind of use one of their better players towards the latter half of the season kind of more effectively and more often. Um, this was an interesting p- part of your piece and, and how it played out today was offensive rebounding. Um, just, a, just a quick overview of the stats. Uh, Lakers had, I believe, 10 offensive rebounds, 35 defensive rebounds. Uh, the Grizzlies have six offensive rebounds, 28 defensive rebounds. Um, you know, and... Uh, we I think we see a 35% offensive rebounding rate from the Lakers uh, to 18% from the Grizzlies. So, and and we obviously see the fouling on the box out on a, on a couple of different things. So why don't you go a little bit into how you think offensive rebounding played out today and, and what the Grizzlies maybe could do better coming into game two. We knew coming into this series, the Grizzlies were likely going to get killed on the boards because two of their three best rebounders, are out for the season in Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. And particularly when facing just an absolute huge center like Anthony Davis, you really miss Steven Adams out there. Um, And Anthony Davis, particularly in the first first quarter, was just grabbing every rebound. Mm -hmm. I thought the Grizzlies actually did a pretty good job trying to box out, emphasizing team rebounding. And we'll get to this in a second, but I actually think they emphasized team rebounding over getting out in transition. Yeah. They recognized that, that it, they had to get away from something that they love to do, mm-hmm. get out and run in transition, because they had to secure that board first. But the Lakers still killed them in that, in that yeah. regard. And I think the, the 10 offensive rebounds doesn't tell the story as much as the 35% offensive rebounding rate. That's in the 88th percentile in the league. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies, 18% offensive rebounding rate would be in the 13th percentile for the league. So you're talking about the Lakers were elite at generating second chance opportunities. The Grizzlies were horrible at generating second chance opportunities. And when 
the their half court offenses are otherwise could be seen as pretty even, yeah. and I think we're pretty even in today's game. That's a really big problem if the Lakers are generating that many more opportunities for themselves. Yeah, I don't really know what the Grizzlies can do to be honest. Two players that I think could help. Number one, you need more from Xavier Tillman. Oh, he was absolutely. he was terrible in this game. Yeah. He scored two points, grabbed three rebounds in 21 minutes. He picked up two fouls early in the game. Basically didn't play much after that. He did come back in as part of the closing lineup. But you need him to grab more than three boards in this game. Yeah. I mean, I know he's undersized compared to Davis, but he is a strong physical rebounder. You need more from him. Yeah. Secondly, either Conchar or Roddy needs to play more. And we're going to get into Roddy in a little bit. He was that's who they went with um, with uh, that's who they went with in that ninth spot in the rotation. They went with Roddy over Conchar, but he only played eight minutes. Conchar only got one mop up minute. Both of those guys can be strong rebounders. Conchar's numbers are better. I trust Roddy's body to rebound yeah. better. I think that you need one of those guys on the court more often to provide a rebounding spark. Yeah, I, I would also say I trust Roddy defensively where he's able to kind of just bang out with some of these bigger guards. And, and um, not that he's going to lock down LeBron completely, but he was he's going to do a much more effective job than Conchar. And I think if LeBron just puts his shoulder into Conchar, it might... I, I, Conchar's a, a great athlete, but I just don't... I, Roddy has the stoutness that you need, to I think, to, to better kind of get in front of LeBron. Um, so I, I think your point about Tillman is, is, is well-founded. Do you think solving like the solving kind of that issue with Tillman? Obviously, you know he's a he's going to be an important player in the series. Do you see Kenneth Lofton get uh, Junior get more more minutes just so just to give the Lakers kind of a different look, or maybe you you substitute some of Santi Aldama's minutes? Yeah, I I w- I could see giving Kenny a try. In Santi's minutes. Because yeah. Santi actually shot the ball well today. Uh, he went 2 of 3 from 3, 3 of 6 from the field um, to score 8 points, had 6 rebounds. So, like, the counting stats don't look terrible. But he had the worst plus-minus in the game. He was minus 23 for the game. He was getting abused defensively when he was matched up against Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. We know that's going to happen. He's too small. Not not too small in terms of his height, too small in terms of his body. He just he's going to get pushed around, um, and I don't think that they were trying to get him on Davis either. It's just going to happen when he's out there in the post. They're going to find a way to yeah. to get that switch. So Santi was not great in this game. Didn't really look like he was ready for the moment um, in in the paint. You know, outside of the arc, he hits two of three, but you need more from him. I could see giving Kenny a try. Kenny is undersized as well. Yeah. What is he, 6'8"? He is 6'7". Listed as 6'7". Listed as 275. I think that's probably yeah. under his weight. But yeah. he's going to throw his body around. And we have seen this year that the rebounding production he had in college, which is why the Grizzlies signed him, has carried over to the G League, even carried over to the NBA. Is he going to be able to do that against Anthony Davis? No, Davis is going to get most of those rebounds. But can he just help provide a little bit of a of a spark inside? I could see giving him 10 minutes to to just see what you got there. Yeah. Throw and, something at the And wall. you never know because some of the some of these role players kind of live live up to those moments. So, 
um, you know, 6'7", 275, truly a man of uh, <laughs> a man made in my image. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, yeah, so I think we we kind of covered offensive rebounding. There is an avenue that that the Grizzlies can kind of use, but I, I think that the Lakers are always going to have this advantage. Um, and, and just the size and physicalities of these guys like Vanderbilt or Vanderbilt and um, Davis are, are just going to be tough for, for the, the Grizzlies to overcome. We're a generally smaller team. Um, so this last one I think is the most fascinating to me because it, it kind of shocked me. It's the first thing I, or second thing I wrote down in my notes after the Jaron Iso is the Grizzlies not pushing the ball as much in transition. Um, if we look at the game stats, which I'll pull up right now, um, uh, so the Lakers have 26 fast break points. The Grizzlies have 17 um, points in the paint is completely even points off turnovers. I, I know this is, I, I, these are just interesting stats to me, but uh, total turnovers, actually Grizzlies have less uh, turnovers, but our points off turnovers are uh, 22 to 15. Uh, mm. Yeah. In, in favor of the Grizzlies. So interesting to kind of see the Grizzlies kind of use that half court offense more and uh, not push the ball as much. So you kind of give me your thoughts on, you know, how, how does the transition game just look different for, for the Grizzlies with and without Jaw potentially? So, yeah. It started with the rebounding. To, to my eyes, part of the reason why the Grizzlies weren't getting out in transition is because they were having to send three, four, or five guys to the glass to just try to end the possession with a defensive rebound. Mm-hmm. But I also felt that there was a couple times where, particularly with Jaw, he walked the ball or jogged the ball up the court when I would usually expect him to just fly up the court and yeah. try to generate a foul or get an easy bucket. Um, and the Lakers are a horrible half, horrible transition defense team. They don't like to get back on defense. It wasn't just a Russell Westbrook problem. They actually got worse in transition defense since dumping him off. So this was something I thought the Grizzlies could take advantage of over and over and over again. And they did get out and transition on 17% of their plays. You said they had 17 fast break points. Yeah. Like 17% of your of your possessions being transition opportunities, that would be 69th percentile for the league. So that's above average. Yeah. But here's the problem. The Lakers had 90 were at a 98th percentile in terms of generating transition opportunities. 24% of their possessions were in the fast break. That led to a lot of easy buckets for a team that, outside of LeBron and AD, doesn't have guys you can count on to get buckets in the half court. Yeah. So, honestly, the Grizzlies' transition defense was a bigger problem. Yeah, it was. Some of those were came at the end of the game exactly. in mop-up time yeah. when, when basically the Grizzlies had given up. Yeah, you're on pure offensive mode trying to get as many points as possible. No one's getting back on defense. But I did see it early in the game as well. Even off yeah. of a couple of Grizzlies-made baskets, mm-hmm. the Lakers got easy layups in transition. It seemed like it wasn't a focus for the Grizzlies to get back in the way that we would expect them to. And it seemed like the Lakers came out saying, you know, Memphis had the best half-court defense in the league, Mm -hmm. uh, according to some stats. So we don't want to play in the half-court against them either. Let's go get some easy buckets. And and they look surprisingly spry for one of the oldest (laughs) teams in the league. Yeah, I I definitely, that that was surprising. But I, I think one thing that, 
may change though with, with Jaw off the floor is the reliance on the half court because um, Jaw kind of makes things tick in transition. Mm-hmm. I think that's where he lives. I think if we don't see Jaw in game two, game three, and probably game four, um, if 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 the injury is as bad as I I think most people think it is, mm. I think you rely more on coaching's ability to set these plays up in the half court, and that's why I think Luke Kennard's usage goes up. Right, I I think Luke Kennard lives to kind of run these cross pattern plays get open threes and then we and and Jenkins should be planning around that. Um and I and I think transition will start to play less and less of a role. I, but I agree with you. Transition defense and I think our data is a little bit muddled by the fact that um we are are kind of see, we saw a lot of transition buckets in the, like the last 2 3 minutes of the game when the the Grizzlies were really just trying to get back into it. Um I think one other surprising defensive stat that we kind of saw was uh, the block disparity. Um, you know, usually the the Grizzlies are second in the league in blocks per game, averaging six. They had two. AD on his own had seven, which is insane. Um, I think I think part of Jenkins's plan was to um, put him in foul trouble, and I just don't think it worked the way that he thought it would. He thought it would. Um, but, I, did, I didn't know that AD still had that level of interior defense in him. I'm not sure AD knew that. And it seems like Taylor Jenkins didn't know that either. They were going to go out AD early in this game, and he just stood him up over and over again. Seven yeah. blocks. The Lakers had 11 as a team. Yeah. Way, way, way over their season average. Yeah. They were a very mediocre team in terms of getting blocks this season. Um, LeBron had three, including a chase down on Desmond Bain. A little bit of payback for the yeah. for the talk. Bane gave him in last regular season. And another thing to build off the blocks, steals also were favoring the Lakers when that's a category you thought would be heavily in the Grizzlies' yeah. side. The Lakers turn the ball over a fair amount as a team. The Grizzlies are very good at valuing the basketball. They don't mm-hmm. turn it over. The Lakers had seven steals in this game, though. The Grizzlies had six. The, the Grizz are third in steals per game in the regular season. The Lakers were 25th. And yet in this game, they were even with actually yeah. the Lakers having a, a, a slight advantage. So yeah. those stocks, which are what we know JJJ for and what we've known the Grizz to, to get over the past few seasons, they got to at least generate something there. I know they're not the, the stock monster that they were with Brandon Clark and Steven Adams. Mm-hmm. They still have guys who can get steals, get out and run. Yeah, That needs to be a priority in game two and, and moving on because without Ja, you don't have – the ability to just break down a half-court defense over and over and over again. Jaron Iso might be the answer there, but you need to get some easy buckets and wear down this Lakers team in transition. Okay, so so I think that's a point to where, yeah, I, I think I see that in a lot of sense. I think that what what I expect from coaching, though, is even though, but I would also say kind of counter to that is that Jaw is able to break down that half court defense, but he's also pushing that bu- mm. pushing the basket or pushing the basketball up the floor really fast, right? So I think transition in a lot of ways, what that looks like for the Grizzlies has to change, right? Mm. Whether it's more passing, whether it's less slashing, whether it's you know more crisp passes from Desmond Bain or a ball handler into the post, and then you get Jaron kind of breaking free. 
that is how it could look. Um, but I, I think the reliance on Jaw just to get to the basket in transition, obviously, it's not going to be there. So, like, do you, do you think transition looks differently for for the Grizzlies? That's a good point. Jaw is, of course, a transition monster. Yeah. They still try to get out and run without him, though. Yeah. And I think do. Tyus is good at pushing the pace. It He's looks great different. at pushing it's the not, pace. With Jaw, it's a yeah. one-man wrecking crew. He's exactly. He's so fast, yeah. he beats the whole defense. Yeah. With Tyus in and, I you know. Tyus. Love. He just love the way he yeah. plays. With Tyus in, it's maybe less explosive, but it's similarly efficient in that yeah. you're still generating three-on-twos, four-on-threes. And the thing I would look for is, can we get Kennard and Bain open threes in transition? Yeah. Can we get some secondary transition trail yeah. threes from Jaron? Yeah. Because Jaron has shot the ball well from three for Feels a month now. Shot two of four today. That is something that can pull AD away from the basket. Yeah, and open up the lane for, for Desmond and other people to start slashing. And, and Tyus' floater could be a really big weapon in transition. That can get you something like nine, ten points a game just off of his floater. Um, it's a tough it's a tough shot to hit, that like a little runner. But, you know, he's been effective with it, it, it throughout his whole career, I believe. So... Um, yeah, I think Tyus maybe getting more minutes might be something. And that, that's kind of what a, a good segue to what I want to talk about next, which is, so we have our analysis kind of pre and post the first game, right? We kind of went through each point. What are like three or four things that you want to see the Grizzlies do differently coming into game two? It starts with an emphasis on getting Luke Kennard threes up. Yeah. We talked about that over and over again, though. I think that, that you're going to need to see Desmond Bain be more efficient as a scorer. Mm-hmm. He was only 6 of 18 from the field today. I mean, he again, the counting stats look pretty good in this game for, for Bain. Um, he had 23 points in, in the game and 22 points. But 6 of 18 from the, from the field, 3 of 10 from 3. If Jaw is out, then I think you'd like to see the efficiency increase, but maybe not a higher shot total. Mm. 18 is a pretty high number for Desmond Bain. Um, if Jot is is out of the game, though, you're going to need to see Desmond Bain taking a lot of shots. You're going to need to see him doing it at a higher efficiency. Throughout this year, we've seen him evolve into downhill Des, this guy who just is yeah. a bowling ball going to the rim. In this game, I thought the Lakers were ready for it. Yeah, they were. LeBron blocked him a couple of times. AD blocked him. And, again, the efficiency shows he wasn't able to hit shots around the rim. He was just 3 of 8 inside the arc. I think he might need to pull up his mid-range game. He's definitely got that in the bag. He's going to need to pick his spots um, more in driving. And there needs to be a concerted effort that he and Kennard are taking a lot of threes in this game. Desmond Bain's not going to go 3 of 10 too often. The other thing is, as we talked about, the rotations might need to emphasize Roddy and Conchar yeah. a little bit more, or at least one or the other, because you need somebody who can go mix it up there on the boards. We know rebounding is a problem in this series. We know the physicality of, of the Lakers is a problem in this series. Conchar with his rebounding and Roddy with his body are two ways that you could close that gap a little bit. Mm-hmm. So get out in transition, more Kennard and Bain threes. Let's see a little more Roddy. I favor Roddy over Conchar, but at least one of the two should be playing, uh, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in this game. And I'm glad you brought those up. Those were three themes we've kind of infused throughout our discussion. My only thing, and this could just be me personally. I don't even know if this is efficient. I don't know if it's good basketball. But 
Jaron Isos were just a treat to watch. He physically just bullied the Lakers. Anytime Le- he made, I, and I hesitate to say this because LeBron will drop 40 at some point in this playoffs. I know he will because I've been watching basketball long enough. But he looked like he made LeBron look like a subpar defender, which I, I haven't seen in a long time. He made LeBron look his age for once. Um, he was physical. He got to the basket. He finished at the basket. He just, he looked like a physically imposing kind of player that we always expected. And we, and we expect out of him. And he, he, he looked close. And I don't, I, I will be crucified for this, but he looked like Giannis or, or, or Embiid. He looked physically imposing. He took people off the dribble. He said, bleep it. I'm taking you to the basket. And I love that bully ball. And whether or not it's efficient, it was in this game, whether or not it's efficient consistently, it remains to be seen. But it looked great today. It was fun to watch. And I hope, I hope there's more kind of that matchup LeBron versus Jaron. I think this could be Jaron's coming out party uh, in a very real sense. I think he's a great defender, renowned for his defense, has great offensive games. But if he can build consistency around his ISO game and his shooting and, and really just develop that bag even more, like I said, I, I think he, he can be in the running for some MVP, ro- MVP ro- votes in, this, in these next five years. The only reason I'm not depressed after a very depressing finish to a game and the Grizzlies losing game one at home for the third straight playoff series going back to last year, the only reason I'm not depressed is because of Jaron. Whether it means anything for this playoffs or not depends on Jaw's health. But going forward, future of the franchise, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s performance today repeatedly bullying LeBron James in ISO is just such a heartwarming development for Grizzlies fans and yeah, that yeah. they are going to be running the offense yeah. through him, maybe with or without yeah. Ja. He really with or without Ja. He did have the highest shot attempts in in the game with 21, so it's hard for me to say that they need to get him the ball more. Yeah. I'm really not sure how they can get him the ball more. I think he needs to get to the free throw line more, and that's not really on him. There was a fair amount of contact on his post-ups that was not being called. He only attempted three free throws in this game. Let's take a look at that, Scott Foster. Let's take a look at how, yeah, you weren't calling yeah. fouls on Jaron Jackson Jr., but you weren't rewarding his physicality on offense either. Mm-hmm. So I, I expect to see a few more attempts for him. And another thing I would add, I'd love to see Tyson's minutes go up. He played 25 um, this game. I think he runs the offensive uh, part of the of the um, Grizzlies half court really effectively. And if, if the transition is open or closed, he's just a really effective player. He's a vet. He's been in these situations before. I would love to see that minutes, maybe 30 minutes, if it's not too much. Um, he, he did lead uh, all, he, or he, him and Luke both had about 25 minutes. So I would love to see that 28 to 30 have him. I just, I like his presence on the floor. I think he, he's a good floor general. Um, yeah, I would love to see him play more and, and just be more. He was four of seven tonight from a field goal, one for two from three point, just to see his involvement go up. Two things to close it out for me. Number one, the Grizzlies played well all the way up until the three-minute mark when they were down 113 to 112. To that point, the, the Grizzlies were trailing, but I felt like they'd played a good game throughout, that they'd shown things they could they could be consistent for them throughout the series that could lead to a series victory regardless of the result of game one. Those last three minutes, throw away the tape, burn it, 
Yeah. Bury it deep in, under the yeah. Mississippi River. Like, get rid of it and never think about yeah. it again. Because the Grizzlies lost their edge when Jaw went out. And that's not really so much on the floor as I think they were deflated. Yeah. Um, and the Lakers had this all-time shooting performance from Hachimura and Reeves that, that buried the Grizzlies. Yeah. So they played well enough to win this game for most of the game. That's repeatable. Um, but my, my last key for game two is you know you're going to get beat on the boards. You need to find ways to mitigate that advantage for the Lakers. And at the same time, you also are going to need to lean, lean into small ball. Um, I think we're going to see some lineups with, let's just say Jaws not out there. So Tyus, Bain, Kennard, Roddy. Um, Tyus, Bain, Kennard, Brooks. Tyus, Bain, Roddy, um, Brooks. I think you're going to see four guard-slash-wing type players on the yeah. court at the same time. And you're going to hope you shoot the Lakers all the way back to Los Angeles yeah. at, with a series side of 1-1. So, so I, I guess final final kind of prediction. Do you So to, to maybe provide a spoiler alert for if you're going to read King, which you should read King's series preview, he predicts Grizzlies in seven. Do you change your prediction, Grizzlies in seven? And what do you predict for game two? Grizzlies win or, or Lakers win? I'm predicting a Grizzlies win for game two. We've seen this team at its back against the wall before, and they usually respond. Um, we saw it in the playoffs twice last year. They lose game one at home, come back and win game two. We've seen it throughout the season when they've hit some really rough patches. They get it turned around when they absolutely have to. So I'm predicting a game two win. If Jaws not healthy in this series, though, as much as I love Tyus Jones, the way the Lakers look today has me changing my pick to Lakers in six. If Jaws available... The fact that the Lakers still don't have anybody to guard him, even if they did a pretty good job today, has me sticking with Grizz in seven. It's going to be a long series. The Grizzlies are not going down in a sweep as the very annoying Lakers fan sitting next to me was certain <laughs> it was going to happen. Even without Ja, yeah. the Grizzlies are going to be competitive in this series. Um, but the the story now is they have to win on the road, um, and that's going to be hard enough with Ja if you're telling me they don't have Ja the rest of the series. I don't think they're winning. So on the road. Uh, yeah, I I I am inclined to still stick with Grizz, Grizzlies in six or seven. Um, I think they're gonna they're gonna figure it out. I, I think Jaw's a question mark. I or Jaw was a question mark. Now I think if I had to guess, they probably internally have moved on from Jaw for this series and are finding different ways. And I think they do still have enough firepower to pull it out. I think as a series gets longer. The advantage goes to the Grizzlies. We, I said that in my preview, that. and I still believe that. Yeah. I mean, we saw Davis go down today, and I thought I was hoping he would get back up because you don't want people to be out of the series for yeah. an injury. But I thought there's the moment where Anthony Davis once again can't make it through a playoff series. Right now it's the Grizzlies who are hurting, um, but over the course of a long series, you know, LeBron, he looks old today defensively. He wasn't pressing the Someone the issue on offensively. <laughs> yeah. Um and and Davis was incredible, but can he hold up for seven games? I don't know. Yeah. Game two is a must win and the Grizzlies are gonna get it done. Yeah. Jaw or no I, I agree. I'm, my prediction for game two is, is Grizzlies win. So yep. So let's wrap it up there. This is the Hoops Royalty podcast. I'm King Jemison alongside Carnavancatraj and you can subscribe on YouTube. There's gonna be a lot more where these came from. Um, check out my work on Beale Street Bears. Check out Karna's Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> always, always check them out. And we'll see you right back here after game two. Peace.